Welcome to Modern Animism Radio. I'm your host, Laura Giles. Thanks for tuning in. Someone recently asked me how to find an authentic animist past when your family history has been obliterated. Is it okay to borrow from other people? And that's what I'm going to talk about today, so please stay tuned. But first, let's pause for a moment to give gratitude to the ancestors and the elements. Acknowledge and thank the element of earth for the food, home, stability, and strong foundation beneath us. I thank you for the sensuality that surrounds our physical beings and makes living unique and worthwhile. I acknowledge and thank the element of air for inspiring us with ideas and helping us to communicate with our ancestors. I acknowledge and thank the element of fire for the desire to do and to make things happen responsibly. I acknowledge the element of water and thank you for sustaining our lives and reminding us to go with the flow. I acknowledge and thank our loving, helping ancestors from the human, plant, animal, and mineral kingdoms. I thank you all for the help we receive that is both seen and unseen. I thank our listening community that continues to grow. Uh, we're getting lots of people in our, um, not lots of people, some people, <laughs> in our um, free online class. People learning about animism, you're welcome to join us there. Um, we really are blessed with such fabulous supporters who give us such great comments and contribute to our growth. So appreciate you being there. And if any of our shows inspire or help you, please consider donating to keep us going. We're all volunteers. Uh, we do this as an act of love, and we all have regular day jobs, so it's not easy to keep our really ambitious content schedule, grow the online academies, as well as live um, mindfully in, in an animist way. <laughs> uh, so uh, we do need your help uh, with finances, and you can do that on our website at pansociety.net or buymeacoffee.com forward slash pansociety. And if money's an issue, you can also help by liking, commenting, and sharing our social media posts. This helps our stats so that we get better rankings in Google uh, and different social media platforms, and, and so people find us more easily. So it does help us to grow. Anytime you hit that like or share, it really means a lot. And if you benefit at all, I ask that you return that energy in some form of support to honor the spirit of reciprocity. Okay, so how do you create an authentic, modern, animist practice? As you know, at Pan Society, we don't tell you do this and do that. We provide a very broad framework of sovereignty, connection, and oneness, and then basically tell you to figure it out. So that framework is your container, and it's up to you to decide what goes in there. Um, and I know by the types of questions that we get that this is like saying to someone who's never seen, smelled, tasted, felt, or heard a was a bug, but has heard rumors of one how to go make one. So how? Details. That's, that's pretty much what they want. Obviously, the easiest thing would be to go and find other people who have a wuzzabug and do what they do. And I think that's what actually spawned the question because, you know, it's like, okay, do I go, if you're in, in America, as I am, the easiest thing is go to Native Americans and kind of be like, okay, what are y'all doing? That, that works for me. Um, unfortunately, it really doesn't or may not work for you because they're not you. They don't have your ancestors, your DNA, your ancestral baggage or blessings, your desires, maybe not your geography or your personality. And animism is a holistic spiritual path that reflects all of those things. It's also a reflection of your community. Now, that could be your geographic community, family, uh, or spiritual family, and probably all of those because we're influenced by that. So it's really not going to work to adopt practices from a hundred or a thousand years ago. The world's changed a lot. That's not the world we live in now. Uh, 
And animism is always contemporary for the people who practice it. So it's mindful in now and all that happens in the right now. So um, if you've been with us for a while, you know, I've talked about this before, but kind of like big picture. And the things that I've said, it's first number one, you got to be mindful because you're always getting feedback from everything, from your ancestors, from the environment, from your interactions, from just, you know, your day-to-day walking around in the world. And if you're not mindful, you're going to miss gigantic clues on what to do, how to be. Like nature right now is giving us clues about what to do. What is it doing? It's fall. The leaves are falling. Things are dying. You know, you see the animals collecting food and getting ready. Some of them are getting ready to go into hibernation. It's telling us what we need to be doing because we're, we live with the earth. Everything moves in a similar rhythm. And if we are against that rhythm, then we're not going to be moving very easily or efficiently. So that's the kind of thing that mindfulness can do for you. So I did this uh, podcast on forest bathing, lots of mindfulness in that. Um, I've done tons of stuff that have mindfulness in it. it. It's just really a different way of being that will help you to be in tune with life. Um, if you're not sure what that is, check some of those things out. Take a mindfulness course. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do for yourself, I promise you. That's the foundation. If you're not mindful, then it doesn't matter how many books you read or what, what things you practice or what uh, templates you follow. It, you're going to have limited success. So number one, big picture, mindfulness. Um, number two, you've heard me talk about this too, is get to know your ancestors. Your ancestors are you. Your DNA is you. I'm not saying that you have to follow the path of your ancestors. Maybe they don't resonate with you. Um, you have, all of us have tons and tons of ancestors. It's like, well, which ones do I follow? So it's not going to be like, oh, you know, my last animist people were Iberian, so I'm going to adopt that. Maybe, maybe if that works for you, cool. Um, but maybe it's not that. But if you know who your ancestors are, it will give you a place to start. It's like, so me, I'm a big picture person, so the first thing I do is I, if I look at the big picture, it's going to get overwhelming. You have to have a container. It's like, okay, so I'm going to put a, a container around this thing called animism called sovereignty, connection, and oneness. And then within that, I'm looking at who are my ancestors. So I'm not looking at the entire universe or the entire uh, time from, from the time began because I'm everything. It doesn't really narrow it down for me. It doesn't create a container. So I'm going to look at what do I know about these ancestors. So, so if I know nothing, so you got your oral history, if you have any, you could start there. If something resonates with you, you there, bingo, you're home, you're home free. If not, do your, your 23andMe, your Ancestry.com, whatever service you use, find out something about your DNA, and then see what pops for you. There may be something 50,000 years ago that's like, oh, my gosh, I really resonate with this, this people, this land, um, their stories. Fine, go with that. That's you. Claim it. Uh, if it was 5,000 years ago, good. If it was 1,000 years ago, good. Whatever. You know, it gives you a place to start. It gives you a way to get to know these people um, and who they were as humans. Now, who they are as spirits is going to be a really different thing. That's not going to help you. Well, it'll, it'll help you, but not, not really so much in your life as a human. Um, you're having a human existence, you need that human support. So that's why the ancestors are important. If uh, they had struggles like famine, slavery, oppression, um, persecution, or or they were persecutors, then that's probably going to have some resonance with who you are today. 
if your family is still carrying that stuff, if you're still carrying that stuff. So it's real valuable to know who your ancestors are so that you can have their strengths and you can help to heal the burdens. Um, number three big picture thing that I've talked about over and over and over again is to live from your values. Written tons of stuff about that. Said tons of stuff about that. Your values are what's going to guide you through problems. It's going to guide you. And really it's problems. It's not so much, um, well, I guess it could be like goals and stuff. If you uh, are looking at two job opportunities, then probably the most satisfying one for you is the one that's going to um, be in alignment with your values. If you're looking at how to problem solve, again, what's in alignment with my values? So there's lots of ways to stay in sync with yourself, be authentic to yourself and with nature. One, by learning from nature, and two, by staying in line with your values. But that's not my sense of what this question is about. It's more like the little minutia, the day-to-day stuff. So that's really what I want to focus on today. Um, so, for example, uh, Let's say that um, you want to make uh, choices about where to draw the line on cultural appropriation. That's been a hot topic since Black Lives Matter. You know, um, where's your line? What's free to use? Uh, When is it okay to teach something or sell something? How much value does lineage or blood have to you? Uh, Those are kinds of questions that you might be facing. Lots of us are. So everyone is multicultural. Yeah, you go back enough, nobody is 100% of anything. You're going to have changed geographies and ethnicities. I don't really believe in race as a concept. There's no race gene. Um, but skin color, I mean, you know, not that long ago, 8,000 years ago, I think it was, everybody was brown. So, you know, that might be a consideration for you. But in, in looking at this cultural appropriation thing, uh, to me, it's about. So I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you just the, the key, <laughs> my key, and then you can decide if you want to use that again. So going back to sovereignty, connection, and oneness. Sovereignty is about doing you. What feels good to you? Um, I know there is this thing in the shamanism movement that you are the authority on your own experience. Absolutely agree with that. A hundred percent. Problem with that is that ego gets in the way. So you can make up some real grand stuff and be totally fooling yourself and the way that and, and taking advantage of people and doing all kinds of things that are, are not in your best interest or in anybody's best interest. So the way that that balances out is with the connection piece. So, yes, I can believe whatever I want to believe. Um, if it is not good for me and if it's not good for the whole, it's probably not a beneficial path to go down. So that's the connection. I need to be authentic within myself and still serve others and still be connected to others and still um, feel good about other people. I don't want to be othering. I don't want to be superior, those kinds of things. So for me, with the um, cultural appropriation piece is you are the only person that knows what resonates with you when it comes to the ancestors. Does does this belong to you in spirit? Um, Maybe I'm really attracted to something that I have no known DNA connection to, but it just feels good and right for me to pursue. That's okay. That's okay. Because we have a spirit family, we have a DNA family. We don't always reincarnate in the same family line. Um, and what what's for you is for you. 
just be careful about um, selling things, about being the authority for things for which you have no here and now um, community-supported authority. I'll say that, okay? You can take that or leave it. If that works for you, cool. If it doesn't, then that's cool. But those one of, one of the kind of questions. So as an example of that is what do you use for purification? I hear lots of people say, well, if you're not Native American, you can't use sage. And, and to that I say, you know, spirit belongs to nobody, plants belong to everybody. So if this plant is native in your area and you're using it in a responsible way so you're not over-harvesting, uh, use it. <laughs> you could use water. Water is belongs to everybody. That's not going to offend anybody. You could use uh, smoke of different things. Lots of things burn. It doesn't have to be sage. It could be cedar. It could be um, what else do people use? Uh, sweet grass. It could be. Mm, I can see it in my head, but I can't think of it. But it's a cedar-like thing. Um, so you could use or Palo Santo is another one. Um, you could use a candle and use fire. Fire is a great purifier. Fire burns down the forest, you know, and allows things to grow again. So you, you're not limited to sage. <laughs> you could use essential oils. Um, when I'm trying to clear a room, there is nothing like essential oils to get that bad juju out. So just be creative. Do what works for your conscience. Do what works for your geography. Just kind of th keep those kinds of things in mind. Another thing to think about is what gods, if any, uh, do you want to honor? Do you want one, many, a pantheon? Do you want to pick and choose? Uh, what do you have time for? What do you know about them? What resonates for you? If you are new to gods, my suggestion would be to, this is one time when your head is going to be your friend. Um, get to know their stories. Get to know what things they've done because the non-Christian gods are multifaceted. They have a light side and a dark side. They do, quote-unquote, bad things, and they do helpful things. Um, they're temperamental. They're not like love and light kind of creatures. So you really need to know that and know what they're capable of, know what kind of offerings they want, know what kind of sacrifices they expect from you before you sign on for that. Because you're going to see evidence of what that relationship looks like. And if you're not ready for that, you don't want that, then maybe it's not something that you should volunteer for. So any gods, no gods, uh, many gods are okay. It's up to you. Let your heart guide you. I would also um, caution against mixing pantheons because historically some gods were uh, at war with others. And you probably wanted them to keep them friendly, especially if they're on the same altar. So think about that. Um, as you're making your uh, choices and crafting your own personal practice. Um, think about what holy days you want to observe. You know, we have eight. You can do those. You could do moons. We, I do the moons. Um, because it, it's six weeks in between holy days is kind of a long time to go for a check-in with me, with the earth. I like the moons because it's short and sweet, keeps me present, keeps me on track. Um and then you think about, you know, how are you going to do this? Is it going to be with a group? Is this a way to connect with your animist community? Or is this more of a personal devotion for you? You could do both, of course. Um, how much do you want to put into it? 
Do you prepare days in advance? Those kinds of things. Um, however you want to do it's fine. It can vary from time to time. I would be thoughtful, be mindful. Um, again, kind of research what they're about. What do they mean to you? Make everything symbolic. Because if it's not symbolic and meaningful to you, then why do it? Really, why do it? Don't just do it because we're like saying, hey, it's a holy day. Let's, let's do this, you know. Um, I think a lot of people observe their religions in that way, and I, th the reason why people move away from it is because it's become not meaningful. So, again, you have that mindfulness piece. It, as long as it's meaningful to you, then you're good. And if you want to observe Christian holy days, I think a lot of us here in the West have uh, Judeo-Christian cultures who celebrate Easter and Christmas and all those things. If you want to do that too, cool. And if you don't, cool. Um, I do Christmas in a sort of secular way because lots of people do. It's just part of the culture, but I don't do the other ones. So I'm, I'm a picker and chooser. Uh, I like for my life to be meaningful. I like for the things that I give my time and money to to be meaningful and a reflection of my inside self. So that's kind of how I do it. Um, and you can do it however you want. So another thing you might think about is what traditions did your ancestors observe? Uh, and which will you carry on? So if you go back to when your people were animus, and everybody has animus cultures, even pale people. I know some people find that surprising. Um, but some of them, a lot of a lot of uh, animus cultures have tattoos. So it's kind of crazy for people to be like, oh, well, these tattoos belong to me because everybody had tattoos. <laughs> so maybe those tattoos and those symbols resonate with you. Maybe they mean something to you, and that's kind of a way for you to high-five your people. Um, that's not a particularly uh, controversial one, but a lot of uh, animus cultures were cannibals. Obviously, that's not a culturally sanctioned thing we do. <laughs> but you might research, like, what is the symbolism of that? Why do they do it? How can I bring that into my life today if that is something that you resonate with? Another one is headhunting. Um, kind of a knee-jerk reaction we have to that is like, oh, God, they're savages. Um, but that, if that was your people, that was you. And that was, there's a reason why they did those kinds of things. You might want to find out the reasons, what's the symbolism behind it, and maybe incorporate it in some way. Bone keeping is the same thing. So in Peru, there's bone keepers, the Philippines, and Greece, lots and lots of bone keeping cultures. And by bone keeping, what I mean is that when somebody dies, their um, bones are preserved. So in Peru, they would be mummies. In the Philippines and in Greece, they would be buried, and then the bones are dug up, or some of the bones, if not all of the bones. And then they would dig them up. There's lots of uh, places where they kind of parade the bones around, they dress them up, they do all kinds of things to kind of bring the ancestors back into their lives for a day, like for Ancestor Day or, or their equivalent of that. Think about, so I'm not saying anybody should dig up grandma from the backyard, not at all. That that would be kind of repulsive in our culture. But you might want to think about, well, if that's something that resonates with you, well, how how do I do that in a way that's culturally sanctioned today? Maybe there's some symbol like Day of the Dead, I think, is a beautiful representation of that. Uh, to my understanding, they might be like, what are you talking about, crazy lady? Um, but I see the parallels. <laughs> um, Ancestor Day could be done 
uh, some way in in keeping that sort of tradition or the ideas, the symbols of that tradition alive. Um, Human sacrifice is another one. So when I went to Peru, our guide told us about uh, the Inca did human sacrifice, and it was an honor. So unlike what some of these people think, and I'm sure that you know, anytime you have something like that where killing is involved, you can bet there was corruption and, and it became a way to get rid of people. In its purest form, though, human sacrifice was a way of saying thanks to the gods for life. Life pays for life. We eat animals, we eat plants, they die so that we can live. And when they sacrifice a human, it was the same thing, really. It was a way of saying, thank you for preserving our life, here is our sacrifice to, to continue that process. Um, and it was an honor. So they would um, paralyze the person first so that they didn't feel any pain, and, and then they would do it. So we um, have... Like plant sacrifices, you sacrifice the corn, you sacrifice the you know the rice. There's a rituals for rice. There's all kinds of rituals for for fertility of the land. There's even one um, where men would go to the field and ejaculate into the field as a way of fertilizing the land. So lots and lots of ways of of doing that life for life uh, sacrifice, gratitude for the continuation of life. Um, and you may get some ideas from how your ancestors did it. Another thing to consider is, you know, what symbols of stories did your ancestors tell? What was important about them? Is there something worth keeping alive? So I uh, recently posted, I didn't, this was kind of a long time ago that I talked about it, but it, I recently reposted about Cinderella and Medusa as examples. And our modern interpretation of Medusa was that she was a monster. But actually, in the beginning, she wasn't a monster. She was one of the Gorgon sisters. And she was the beautiful one. And she was lusted after and raped in Athena's temple. That was her story She before she became a monster. And in some versions of the story, very early versions, Athena gave her the snakeheads to protect her and to keep, keep her from being violated again. Makes it a totally different story, doesn't it? So if you think about it in that way, you know, what symbols do you see in that? What lessons do you see in that? So there's a whole lot more details that go into that. But we all have stories. We all have stories about people, our heroes. We have stories about animals, and that tells us about nature. And these are things that we can learn from. These are symbols that we can bring into our lives today, like the Omphalos was really special to ancient Greeks and a lot of other people too, and it's the navel of the world. So another um, symbol is Yggdrasil, so the tree of life. Um, is that important to you? Is that meaningful to you? Is that something that's going to guide you through your life? If that's something that does, whether or not your people used it, then use it. Um, you don't see stories about the turtles being fast or particularly crafty. They're not known for that. And so when you have animal stories, they can teach you about your own nature. They can teach you about the nature of each animal. And if you look at life as a mirror, which I do as an animist, I, I'm always going, hmm, how am I like that thing? How is my life like this? When have I been like that? What can this thing teach me? Then you're going to have a sense of wisdom over time that's going to be unparalleled from just the way that most people live life, 
even if you spend your nose in a book all the time, it's a totally different way of living. There, there is an aliveness in that, and I, it's just I can't really give that to you in words. It's a, it's a felt sense that goes deeper than any words I can give you. But if you see yourself in anything, it will so expand your way of feeling that oneness, that compassion. I recently uh, went through uh, a stressful time with somebody, and we were just clashing, clashing, clashing. And I, and it, it was it would be real easy <laughs> to just be like, get out of my face, I hate you. Because <laughs> we were not seeing eye to eye. Um, but because I'm like, okay, what's in this for me? How am I like that? And I just kept doing over and over and over, kept coming back to that. Then it, it got me, well, it kept me balanced, number one. And it allowed me to get to a place of compassion and um, sensitivity and just acceptance, really, with it because of that I'm you, you're me. So if you can see yourself in stories, that's really going to be helpful. Um, Trickster is the creature that makes no sense. There's lots of stories about that. Sometimes life makes no sense. To me, that's a really valuable uh, symbol to bring into your animus life because sometimes life just doesn't make sense. And if you see that and you understand that, then it's easy to just surrender to it. Um, yeah. Another thing that can help you to create your own individual practice is your habitat, where you live, and how are you going to incorporate that into your life. Um, if you're drawn to ancient Egyptian lore and gods and all of that, but you live in West Virginia, it's going to be kind of hard because the habitat's not the same don't have the same climate, assuming that they were a desert back then. I don't know if that's true or not. It's something I've always been curious about. Um, but the way that they practice life, the way that they live life is going to be different. So that's why I think it's it's easier to adapt to things and borrow ideas and then create symbols that are here and now versus using the symbols of then and there. But you might find it different and you might really like that and it's your practice. You can do what you want. Um, another thing to consider is what your daily devotion looks like. You know, are you going to have an altar? Are you going to practice ancestor reverence? Are you going to just check in seasonally? Um, are you going to have a, a ancestor or an altar for your gods? That's a lot of responsibility. Probably wouldn't do all that. I'd probably have something that's going to be really simple, meaningful, do it every day, not too much time. I would at least start out that way, and then if you want to grow it, certainly you can grow it. But relationships are living, growing things. So I would not have too many that you can't tend to or they're not going to be very deep. So it's like people or your dog. You know, you might have 20 cats, but you can't really have deep, meaningful relationships with all of them the way that you can with one. So know yourself, know your resources, know your time, pick what's meaningful to you, and keep it small. Uh, try things out. Experiment. Just you know, have some grace with yourself. Know that where you start may not be where you end up. It's okay. It's always a work in progress. And share your thoughts, share your experience with other people. You'll get feedback that will help you to grow. Love to hear about what you're doing, how it's working out for you. And if you have any questions in particular, let us know. I hope this narrows things down for you some more. What I would do is pick one area. Like, let's say, mm, okay, so my main concern right now is which holy days I'm going to observe. 
and then make one decision at a time, add one practice at a time, add one thing at a time, you know, research one symbol at a time, and then it'll kind of grow into its own thing. So I hope that was helpful. And if you want to deepen your practice of animism and want a mentor, you can check out pansociety.org where Sherry and I are offering mentoring. Lots of new people on there. You can post questions on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the podcast. You can also email me, some people do, at laura at pansociety.net. We love your feedback and love hearing from you. And I'd like to close by sending gratitude to you, to the elements, our loving, helping ancestors for being here. I thank you all for joining us for this edition of Modern Animism Radio. Don't forget to donate, as we do need your financial and emotional support, and you can do that at our website at pansociety.net. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm Laura Dallas for Pan Society Radio. Thank you, and see you next week.